All right, let's go ahead and get into it now. So we've been working our way through the book of Acts, which if you didn't know, uh, is the historical account, the documentary, if you will, uh, or if you're into like the Marvel Universe thing that I know is big right now, this is like the origin story, the beginnings of the church. And and when I say church, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not talking about the building. In 2021, the word church has come to mean a building, like a location. Uh, but when the church began, it was not a location. It was a piece. And that's a big difference because if in your mind the church is a location, then the natural conclusion is that it's a place we are called to go. But if in your mind the church is a people, then the natural conclusion is that it's a people we are called to be. And so the church, as we've been learning, is not a place we're called to go. It's a people we are called to be. Now, That's a big change in your understanding of the church because the natural question is that if a church is a people we are called to be, then what kind of people should we be, Jared? Hey, you tell me I got to be this kind of person. I'm not sure I'm interested in being that kind of person. What kind of person are we talking about? Well, here's the short answer to that question, which we've seen through the story here in Acts. The people we are called to be is a people whose hearts have been changed by God. The church is a community, a people, a movement of individuals who one by one have had their hearts changed by God. And I point that out because the natural human condition is to believe that we do not need our hearts changed. The natural condition of your heart is to resist correction and continue to do things the way you've always done them. But what happened with the church is these people began following Jesus and their hearts changed one by one and they began uniting in community. And pretty soon you have a people, a cause, a movement. But it didn't start by trying to become a movement. It started by individuals changing the direction of their lives because God had changed their hearts. And so we've watched as the story unfolded and the church begins to grow and hearts have changed and have habits transform and individuals step into a life with a renewed calling and purpose and people find meaning exponentially above and beyond the life they had been living previously and this is building upon itself and the church is growing and if you didn't know any better at this point you would think the church would just ride off into the sunset like a disney movie script right where it all turned out okay and we all lived happily ever after but what actually happened was what we read last week in acts chapter 10 now if you weren't with us through acts chapter 10 let me give you the rundown real quick as we studied through acts chapter 10 what we saw was that the church was growing and hearts were changing like we said everything was going well there were some difficulties but in in big picture terms it was working god was doing cool things but the church had a problem the problem was that the jesus followers assumed that god preferred one group of people over another so even though they were following jesus they had the attitude that there were some types of people that god really didn't love now that's a really big problem and in order to change that in people's hearts god started where not at the bottom not in the middle he started at the top He started with the apostle Peter. He said, Peter, your heart is wrong towards these people and you need to repent. And this is where we ended last week by pointing out that when God wants things to change, he often works inside out and top down. So what we saw God do in chapter 10 is he started by calling the most mature members of the church to repent. He didn't start by calling the world to repent. 
He worked inside out. He started by calling the church to repent. He didn't start by calling the new Christians to repent. He worked top down. He started by calling the most mature Christians to repent. He didn't start by calling the apostles to repent. He started by calling the lead apostle, Peter, to repent. So we finished last week with this idea that if God is going to do something great in our world, he's probably going to start by changing our hearts, which we already talked about, is against our own nature, right? It's in our nature to resist that type of heart change. And then we finished up last week by saying this. Acts chapter 10, after Peter's heart change, Peter goes to this people group and he had previously believed that God did not love them the way that he had loved uh, the people group that Peter was a part of. And he preaches the gospel to them and sends the Holy Spirit and becomes very apparent that God loves all people, no matter your skin color or language or customs or culture. And that's where Peter started his speech to these people. I now see I was wrong. God shows no partiality. He loves all humanity. They are all created in the image of God. And that's where we ended up in Acts chapter 11. So let's start Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Here we go. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, Gentile, just so you know, is the Jewish word for somebody who is not Jewish. So the Jewish people had assumed that God only loved Jewish people and did not love people who were not Jewish, the Gentiles. But this is clearly not true as Peter has just witnessed. So verse 2. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, so this is uh, people who were Jewish but also loved Jesus. So the circumcision is the Jewish kind of way of identifying themselves in the world. Uh, But these people had become Jesus followers, even though they were uh, racially, culturally, biologically, I guess you would say, Jewish. And so the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So Peter heads back to Jerusalem, and instead of the Jesus followers celebrating the fact that God loves all people and wanted to send his spirit to all people, they don't celebrate. It says their first reaction is to criticize. Remember what we said before, that the natural condition of the human heart is to resist heart change? Our natural tendency is to assume that we are not in need of and therefore can reject the efforts of God to change our hearts. This is not a church people or non-church people thing. This is a human thing. And apparently what we have just learned is that this never goes away. Think about it. These people, these this circumcision group, this is the group of Jesus followers in Jerusalem. So this was the first ones to be on board with this following Jesus thing. And they watched as Jesus was crucified on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Then at some point later on, they gave their hearts to the Lord, gave their hearts to Jesus, changed their lives. And they watched God do this incredible new thing through them as the church is born and growing and advancing and developing. And, and it was like this wonderful thing, starting from Acts chapter 2 uh, through where we've been. And now, God begins to do this new thing in the Gentiles. And they're like, nope, probably not from God. I, it's outside my comfort zone. Probably not from the Holy Spirit. Probably not God working. It's I, I can't see how that would work. God doesn't love those people. And it's almost like, yes, back in Acts chapter 2, God used us to do a new thing, but now we're really not comfortable with this Acts chapter 11 new thing. So we're just going to criticize it. And they're acting as if the Acts chapter 2 new thing was the last new thing that God would ever do. Yeah, that new thing that God did with us, that was probably the last one. This new thing that God's doing with you, probably, probably not from him. 
it's what's crazy is these people are probably the most mature Jesus followers on the planet at the time. They've probably been following Jesus for longer than anybody else, anywhere else. And even their first reaction to God's new work is criticism. You know what that tells me? It never goes away. This heart condition that we have to resist the God changing our heart it never goes away. As a Jesus follower, and especially me, as a church leader or my leadership team, I have to recognize the natural condition of my heart is to resist the work of God. And I have to do something to fight against that or it will rule my life. And if it never goes away, then I have to be aware of and fighting against this for the rest of my life. Now, a bit of a side note here, because this is true. The people who resist what God is doing in your life the most are nearly always going to be people who should be on your team. You would think Peter would come back and then the Jesus followers in Jerusalem would be high-fiving and hugging and be like, yeah, this is incredible. But they don't. They criticize. And this is not really an aberration. This happens all the time. I see it as a pastor all the time. People change their life. Their hearts completely change. They get a new trajectory and meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life. And they start doing life a new way. And then people who should be on their team are the first ones to criticize. And and they don't see it coming. Sometimes it really messes with people and disrails them. They're like, I feel like God wants me to do this. But this person over here or this group of people over here who I loved so much and cared so deeply about and hoped that they would understand, they are against it. They're completely opposing me. And so like a wife will like find Jesus and completely turn her life around. And the husband will just be like the most angry person about it. I kind of liked her more when she smoked a bunch of weed and got drunk every weekend. Like what? Really? Your life, your wife gets her life straightened out and you're like mad about it. Or like a kid goes through high school and the parents are like, go to youth group, go to youth group, go to youth group. And then the kid graduates from high school and says, I want to go to Bible college. And the parents are like, no, 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 you need something to fall back on. You should go to a, a university. What? So like living in a fraternity and getting wasted on the weekends is a better opportunity for them is what you're encouraging them to do as a parent instead of doing what God has called them to do with their life. It's ridiculous. And yet it happens over and over and over. Don't let it surprise you. If God is going to do something great in your life, the opposition is going to come probably from some, the fiercest opposition is probably going to come from somebody who should be on your team. And if you don't know it, it, it can really catch you off guard. Now, kind of a side note. Here we go. Let's look at what happens starting at verse 4. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, and looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And these six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered into the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon. Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Now, let me pause right here and point out and address something that may be going on in your heart. And here's what's initiating this. 
Verse 14, he will declare to you a message. This is God speaking to Cornelius, a message by which you will be saved. I've said since the beginning of this message that the goal is God-initiated heart change. Remember that? And, And some of you have heard that and assumed, he's not talking to me. I'm a good person. He, he's probably talking to people who aren't good people. There's probably people listening right now who are in this park or listening online or something that need their hearts changed, but it's not me. And maybe you're even looking around like that guy over there. He probably cheats on his taxes. That guy over there, he's a crappy husband. That guy over that girl, she's a liar. You know, like they probably need their hearts changed. I do not need my heart changed. I'm a good person. He's not talking to me. But let me remind you really quick from chapter 10 what the Bible has to say about the kind of person Cornelius was. The Bible says this about Cornelius. He was devout, dedicated, believed in, and even honored God. Cornelius was kind, generous, well-respected, had a good reputation, lived with integrity, and if all that wasn't enough, it says he prayed continually. So if there was a person on planet Earth who is exempt from the you need to understand that your heart needs to change message, right? If there was a guy who could be like, he's not talking to me, Cornelius was that guy. But in God's eyes, look at this situation. Verse 13, Cornelius, send a Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. Verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. So when you hear me say a people whose hearts have changed and you think, oh, I'm a good person, he's not talking to me. My heart doesn't need to change. Let me tell you this. Cornelius was a good person, probably a better person than you. You're welcome. And God toward Cornelius, he needed to understand this message in order that he might be saved. So when I say your heart needs to change, I absolutely am talking to you, especially if you consider yourself a good person. Now, back to the story. Verse 15. Peter's here telling the story to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Remember, and he said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, the Gentiles, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, Peter tells the story, and as they listen, their hearts are changed. And where they started the chapter criticizing Peter, they end the chapter glorifying God. And it was all made possible because they repented and allowed their hearts to change. Think about it. The oldest, most established church in all the world repented and allowed their hearts to change on the subject. And all of this was made possible because Peter came to this realization that God was calling him to change his mind about the way he was living his life. And because Peter walked through that probably really uncomfortable process of heart change, Cornelius and his family experienced heart change. And the church in Jerusalem hears the story and they experience repentance and heart change. And if you just keep reading through the chapter, The gospel now goes to the Gentiles, which is probably almost all of us here today. And so we even today are reaping the blessings and benefits of Peter's heart change. Now, at this point, I could just tell you, see, 
listen to God, do what he says, change your heart. And, and yes, I think that is absolutely what God is calling you to do this morning. But I think there's something you need to know about yourself that may be helpful in this process. And we see it in verse 13. As Peter is watching this whole story unfold, he's kind of talking to himself in verse 13. And he says this, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Now, that's a pretty significant realization about yourself right there. Maybe you don't realize it. Let me rearrange it a little to maybe help you understand what Peter is saying about himself. Peter's realizing in this moment, I am resisting heart change. I am the one standing in God's way, or I am the one who is being tempted to try and stand in God's way. The truth is he can't stand in God's way, right? If God wants to do it, he's going to do it, but he's not going to force you into anything. So there is this very real way that we can resist the heart change that God is leading us to, and in a sense, are standing in God's way for our own lives. Let that think, let that sink in for a second. Peter, the closest apostle to Jesus and the leader of the church, realized he was the one standing in God's way of God's plan for his life. And if that's true for him, if that's true for Peter, do you think that could be true for us? Here's what you should understand this morning. You are the most likely one to be standing in the way of God's best for your life. We already know our tendency is to resist heart change. And I think it might be really helpful and freeing for some people to recognize you are what's holding you back. You are what's standing in God's way for his best for you. He had been calling to you to repentance now and you've been resisting. And I don't say that to make you feel bad and put more pressure on you this morning to try harder and do better. I say that to set you free to surrender to the thing God is calling you to do or to stop doing in your heart right now. You can't fix something if you don't know what's wrong. And if you've ever had to live through that, it's a terrible place to live knowing that something's wrong, but not knowing what. Like if you're trying to fix a computer, it's like, it's just not working. It's so frustrating because you just like have looked through all the things a million times and you can't figure out what's wrong. And then you have no hope of fixing it. You're just in, in the flying in the dark, right? Trying to turn knobs and push buttons. Uh, I've been in situations maybe way more serious that are health related, right? Medical circumstances where you can't figure out what's wrong and it's such a hopeless feeling. And when you finally do figure out what's wrong, it's almost like a celebration, like hallelujah. Now that we know what's wrong, we can finally get to work on trying to fix it. And that's what I hope will happen this morning as you are realizing, I'm trying to stand in God's way. I'm the one that's most likely resisting the great things God wants to do in and through my life. And and my guess is that this will be a real gift and blessing to some of you this morning who are trying to find out the problem. You realize you've been going in the wrong way. You don't want to admit it. You don't want to say to anybody like, hey, I don't got this figured out, right? You just want to assume like, we're all good. You're good. I'm good. We're good. How you doing? Good. Like we all do, right? But to realize that you have actually been the one standing in God's way and what he wanted to do should be a great gift this morning because now we can get to work on fixing 
the problem. Because the great news is the Bible tells us that God knows how to give good gifts to his children. And you, you ask him to reveal how you've been standing in the way of his plan. Not only will he show you the problem, he'll send his Holy Spirit to walk with you through the solution. So we, God's not up there like, ha ha, now that you know what's wrong, I'm not going to show you how to fix it. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. Like that's not, he's not a vindictive, angry, like abusive God. Like he'll give you the grace to understand the problem and he'll give you the power to walk through fixing the problem and the clarity. The question is, have you asked? The question is, have you surrendered? The question is, have you admitted to him that you're part of the problem, that you've been standing in the way of what he wants to do in your life? And the great news about this message this morning is the hope that it produces. Because just like the blessing of Peter's heart change cascaded down to others, there's a very good chance that the heart change God is calling you to this morning will result in a blessing for your spouse, will result in a blessing for your family, will result in a blessing for your kids, will result in a blessing at your Thanksgiving table and your small group and your neighborhood and your church and even your city. Think about the hope of this message this morning, that the thing God is doing in your heart and in my heart and the repentance he is calling the church to experience or mature believers to walk into could change our city for the better. As, as Peter's heart change, which led to Cornelius's heart change and his family's heart change and then the church of Jerusalem's heart change, our heart change this morning could be the place God starts to change our city. And, and that's, not, that's not hyperbole. That's what we see in the scripture. And it's an incredible message of hope. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray.